Good morning. How is everyone doing? If you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew chapter 1. If you do not have an outline, please pick it up right out the center doors at the ministry counter. Uh, I believe it's blue, blue sheet of paper uh, to turn them. There is so much in these eight verses that we're going to look at today. There's so much that you're going to find in them. We've been spending the last three weeks talking about the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, what I call the storyline of Jesus. We have looked at the three groups of 14 names. Remember that, right? Remember that, the three groups? Names that were given in the book of Matthew, chosen by the Holy Spirit of God. And each one of those names is a story. Each one of those names matters, and they're there for a reason, right? You'll find that the family tree of Jesus, as we looked at it, you will find people of great faith, but you also find people there are prostitutes, there are murderers, there were cruel and unjust kings. We found that there were brokenness, there was rebellion, there was failure that we looked at last night, uh, last week. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit didn't sanitize the list, that he didn't delete any of those names in the list, so we could see that list. And, and, along, and for us to know and believe that to become part of the family tree of God, it was not based on perfection. It was not based upon for, on performance. It was based on faith. And just to be a part of the family of, of God, of Jesus, uh, to be part of his family, it's based on faith, too. It's not based on our performance or our perfection. It's based on faith. So if your Bibles in Matthew 1, what the Holy Spirit does here is he leads Matthew to mention Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary, and he gives him eight verses. He gives him eight verses here. He, Abraham is mentioned. David is mentioned. But he gives Joseph eight verses, and after that, you don't hear much about Joseph, right? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? You ever ask questions of Scripture? Why would God do that? I think there's a couple reasons. I think the Holy Spirit wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joseph was the husband of Mary, but not the father of Jesus. That the, that, that the virgin birth of Jesus was a miracle for all time and all place, right? It was a miracle. The second reason I think to allow us to see the life of Joseph and when his faith was being challenged in a huge, huge way, that sometimes you just gloss over that. We can read those eight verses. You can read them for yourselves. And, but if you don't get the story, you don't see how Joseph's faith was so challenged, almost beyond measure, and how he responded to that challenge. And that's what I want to look at it. And I think that's important for us because my hunch that every one of us here have had your faith challenge in some way, sometime in your life, right? And maybe some of you are having your faith challenge today. You've come here uh, in time, perhaps, where you realize that the relationship with your mom or dad or your son or daughter is not what you want it to be. And you try to repair it, but you can't. And it keeps you awake at night. And your faith is being challenged because of it, right? Like, God, where are you? What are you going to do? And maybe you're in a place where you said, I never thought I'd be in a place like this in my life. Maybe a loss of a loved one. Maybe single, single again. And you say, my faith is being challenged. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Or, or maybe you're... You're in a face in a situation where you have no human answers. And, and it could be physical, it could be financial, and, and in the meantime, your faith is being challenged. God, where are you? What are you doing? And maybe you're like David, you're crying out to God, God, where are you? As a deer pants towards the water, my heart, my soul pants after you. Where are you? You're like Job, where are you, God? What are you doing? Or maybe you're in that place in your life where you thought, I, I had dreams. And I had dreams to do big things for God, and huge things for God. Now the time has passed, and you realize those dreams are not going to come to pass. And, and there's despair that can overwhelm you, cause discouragement and, and kind of a disappointment in your life, and even causing you to question your faith and your relationship with God. If any of those is true of where you are or where you have been, 
Let's look at the life of Joseph this morning. And, and, and you'll find to be a part of the family of God, it's based on faith, not our, not our performance or anything like that. And in this walk of faith, if you have your outline, hopefully you have it in front of you, three ways to strengthen your walk of faith. I want to give you three ways. The first one is believe what God has promised. Believe what God has promised. Let's read verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In this verse, we're introduced to some things. First of all, the word pledged. The word pledged. Uh, the English Standard Version uses the word had been betrothed. Betrothed. Betrothed is not a word we use today, right? Some of your translations probably have the word espoused. They were espoused to be married. We here in our, in our culture, we use they're engaged. They're engaged to be married, right? But that's too soft a word, what's happening at that time. Too soft. Uh, to be betrothed, it started with the formal document being signed. It was a legal document that said they were a husband and wife. And in order to break that, you had to have a bill of divorcement to break that. And that betrothal period didn't last any longer than 12 months. It had to be less than 12 months. And normally, it began with the chink of a mar, or, or which is like a dowry, which is given by the groom or the groom's family to the father of the bride. How many people have daughters here? And your father goes, yeah, that's a good idea, right? That I get a gift and my daughter gets married. And the reason those gifts were given was twofold, two reasons. One, to help repay the father's expense of having a, of a daughter. And the second was an insurance policy that if that daughter become widowed, there would be money there to take care of her. And so you have here the, the mohar was exchanged. You have the betrothal period was taking place. And during the betrothal period, there was not supposed to be any physical engagement. There was not supposed to be any sexual relationships. They were to be apart during this time. They were to remain chaste before God. And that's very important. They were to remain chaste before God. And during this betrothal period, what happens, Mary is pregnant. But the baby within her is placed there by the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is involved in all of life, but from the very time of creation, speaking life into existence, from the time Jesus was born, and all through Jesus' earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit was there. And even when Jesus was leaving, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to take over. He talked about there's another one of coming of the same kind, the same nature that will come, talking about the Holy Spirit. So we find in verse 18, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was a virgin. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, right? We got that. Let's go to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, it did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. There are many who believe that during this period of betrothal, there was a mediator that usually the a friend of the groom's that would talk, that, that would handle the communication between the bride and the groom. And imagine with me, again, if you read these verses for yourself many times, we can miss the challenge to Joseph's faith. There was a great challenge to his faith that was happening. Nazareth was a town of about 400 residents, and it was a very conservative Jewish community from what we read about. And so with 400 people, you would say they knew each other, right? They knew each other in that town. Everyone knew each other. That's Joseph. He runs the carpenter shop, right? Everyone knew that's Joseph. They all knew each other. So can you imagine Joseph in his carpenter shop counting down the days, crossing off the calendar, one day closer to this betrothal period will be over, and I'll be married to Mary. He couldn't wait for that, right? He's looking for the day. I can imagine him in his, in his carpenter shop maybe making a piece of furniture, all excited, maybe humming a tune, maybe here comes the bride or something like that. And he's humming this tune, and he's looking forward to that day and his future with Mary. 
And all of a sudden, here comes the friend of the groom. The guy that's taking the intermediary, he's seen the bride and the groom. Let's call him Daryl. Daryl comes in, he walks in, he catches the attention of Joseph. Joseph stops coming, stops working, he looks over at Daryl and says, Daryl, what's going on? And Daryl doesn't answer. He goes on, and, and so Joseph turns to him, is, any, is something wrong with Mary? Daryl still doesn't answer. And finally, Joseph says, Daryl, looks like you've lost your best friend. What's going on? And finally, after Daryl can pull himself together, he looks at Joseph and he says, Joseph, Mary's pregnant. Can you imagine that one word what's into the mind of that, the heart and mind of that young man, Joseph? Can you imagine what he's thinking right there? How could she? She's the love of my life. She's my life. How could she do this? We made a promise that we would be pure till the day of marriage. How could she? You can imagine what's going through his mind. And then start thinking the next thing, who is it? And a list of names going on in his mind. Who did this? Who did she do this with? And then now what am I going to do? It is options. In the Old Testament, she could have been stoned and put to death because of what she did. But at this time, it probably wasn't going to happen because of the Roman government and so forth. And because they kind of migrated from those things at that time. But the first option he had was to, to publicly expose her. That would have been to make a public spectacle of her. He, had, he was probably weighing the pros and cons like we do when we're going to make a decision, right? The pros and cons. Pros, he could say, I have a right to do this. And not one person would have argued with him. He had a right to do it. Public exposure. The second option was to put her away privately. In other words, to write the bill of divorcement, what he would do. He had that betrothal arrangement, that betrothal period, so they were free to go their own way. And therefore, Mary, she could go basically into hiding to, to be kind of hiding back there, and she could have her baby but not be publicly shamed. He had to choose which option he was going to do. He goes through the pros and cons, and the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man, which is really important. He was a righteous man. Growing in the tradition of knowing and loving God, he chose the option that honored her and not himself. That's the one he chose. Could you imagine being a businessman in a town of 400 people where, where knowing what, could, what it could do to your, your reputation, knowing what it could do to your business at a time and a place like that? And yet he chose the option that honored her because the Bible says he was a righteous man. He chose that option. The passage goes on and tells us, but we want to interrupt and say, Joseph! That baby was put there by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that, does he? He doesn't know what we know. So let's read on. You notice what happens in verse 20 through 23. But it says, After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. Now he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Our memory verse. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you imagine the transformation in the heart of mind of Joseph that was taking place? Where he's contemplating, he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do with this woman who's been unfaithful? At least he thought she was, right? He thought she was unfaithful. And then in a dream... God tells him three things, three things that are very important for us to notice. Three things. First of all, through the angel, you need not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's the first one. Don't be afraid to marry her. Second, the baby is not from another man, but the baby was placed there by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the second thing. Now, the third thing, that baby is a fulfillment of prophecies. And so all those prophecies that Joseph had to know, being a Jewish man, come, have come together, but it was sparked. 
by what that angel of the Lord said to him. He said, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the prophecy that God had given to Abraham, the promise, had to be coming to his mind where God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And from you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Check that one off. And God's got to, and then he's going to be connecting another dot over here. When he made the promise to David, said, David, I don't want you to build me a house because I want to build you a house. And from your house, there are some who will come sit on your throne who will reign forever and ever. And that night, the Holy Spirit of God has to be connecting the dots for Joseph. Right there, connecting all these dots for him to understand what was going on, what was about to take place. And he's going to be saying, now everything's changed. What I thought she was unfaithful, he says, now I realize that's a fulfillment of prophecy. That God has so blessed Mary, and the, the baby that she has inside of her womb is the Messiah. And I'm her husband, and everything's changed now. She has the Messiah inside of her womb, and I'm her husband. How cool is that? That transformation that takes place, and he has to do something now. Now Joseph has to do something. When our faith is being challenged, let's do what Joseph does. That's believe the promises of God. When your faith is being challenged, you have to believe in the promises of God. What does he have to do? Because the basically the Holy Spirit says to him, you have a third option. Well, what's the third option I have? To marry. You need to marry. That's what he tells him. When the Holy Spirit gives you an option from the Bible, we don't have to write down the pros and cons. We don't have to say, I'm going to pray about it. All we have to do is obey it, right? When you read the Word of God and you're coming to the Word of God and God tells you to do something from the Word of God, it's declared right from the Word of God, you and I don't have to write down the pros and cons. You and I, and I don't have to pray about it. All we have to do is do it, to obey it. And that takes us really into our second way to strengthen your walk of faith. Obey the commandments of God. That's what God wants. You would obey the commandments of God, to obey His Word, everything it says, not pick and choose. So many Christians want to pick and choose out of the Word of God. Oh, I like that, so I'll obey this. This one, not so much. So I won't obey that one. That can't mean today. He can't want you to do that today. So obey the commandments. Immediate obedience to what is promised, what he wants. Notice how Joseph responds. That's what we want to take notice. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So she remained a virgin until Jesus was born. Very important. She remained a virgin until Jesus was born. But notice the wording when. It gives us the time, the time period. When. When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. What did he do? His obedience was immediate, and it was complete. That's the kind of obedience God wants from you and I. When he says something in his word, immediate and complete. Right? I like that because over the years, I've had so many times people come up to me and, and say something like, Pastor Doug, I know what the Bible says about this, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Pastor Doug, I know what the Bible says clearly about not living together before marriage, but Pastor Doug, I know what the Bible says about giving my full tithe, my money, but Pastor Doug, I know what the Bible says about loving my wife, but Pastor, I know what the Bible says about respecting my husband, but Pastor, I know what the Bible says about uh, my, my thought life, but and they come to find a pastor or elders, or they look for pastor and elders, and trying to find somebody who agree with their course of action, right? Because they know what the Bible says. But that's not what they want to do. And so they look for someone to agree with them. And so many Christians do that. They look for someone to agree with them because they don't like what the Bible is telling them to do. Well, I don't want to do that. Let me try to find somebody who agree with me to justify my actions. So at the very best, 
It delayed obedience rather than immediate obedience, which God wants from us. Immediate obedience. Joseph, when he woke up, he did as the Lord said. Immediate and complete obedience is what he did. And it's really important for us to see his faith. He had great faith. He trusted in God's promises. He had great faith. Can you imagine getting up the next day and Joseph going into his carpentry shop and, and Daryl comes in. And Joseph says to Daryl, he says, Daryl, get, get the ready wedding. Get the uh, wedding ready because Mary and I are going to get married. And Daryl looks at him and says, you're what? Yep. You're, yes, Mary and I are going to get married. He said, but Joseph, I thought you were going to put her away quietly and you were going to go on with your life. He goes, nope, it's all changed now. We're getting married. And God says it's all right. Can you imagine later that day, maybe, that Joseph's in the Walmart line and the lady behind him is a lady that he's known all of his life. They've known him since they were kids. They used to play together. He said, Joseph, is it true what I've heard? And he says, what have you heard? She says, I hear that Mary is pregnant. She goes, yeah, that's true. And Joseph, I heard that you're not the father. Kind of awkward, but he goes, she asked, is, is that true? And he goes, yes, that's true. And, and Joseph, I also hear that you're actually getting married. Is that true? And Joseph looks at her and goes, yes, and you're invited. And she goes, how, how come you're doing that? How could you do this? And Joseph would go on and explain to her, you have to understand, that baby within her is a fulfillment of prophecy. The Holy Spirit has placed that baby inside of her, and it's the Messiah. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And this is going to be the most exciting, the most important day in all of human history. And I get to be a part of it. And you can imagine that woman in the Walmart line just rolling her eyes without rolling her eyes. Baby by the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't you think that? Baby by the Holy Spirit? Or somebody said that to you? And Joseph had so much to lose. He had so much to lose. And yet, to be obedient, to be obedient to God, even when obedient doesn't make sense to others around you. And that's what we have to think of. We have a choice. When our faith is being challenged, when whole human answers don't make sense, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are, are you going to just say, uh, the chips aren't going my way, so I'm just going to stop being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to get mad at Jesus. I'm going to get mad at God and go my own way. Does that make any sense? But yet that's what so many Christians do. They get mad at God because something doesn't go their way, the way they think it should go. So they say, I'm going to be mad. And they stop coming to church. They get angry at God, and they go their own way, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years, maybe for the rest of their lives. And they walk away. Does that make sense? Does it make sense, guys? Listen, when your faith is being challenged, believe in the promises of God, and then obey. Listen, obedience is always the result of belief. Let me say that again. Obedience is always the result of belief. If we say we believe and we don't obey, we need to challenge the reality or validity of our belief commitment, right? Do we believe? Then we obey. Our obedience is because we believe. So if we believe, you say, yeah, I believe, then you've got to obey. If you don't obey, it means I don't believe it. In Matthew 21, Jesus told a story of a father who had two sons, and he said to his two sons, he said, I want you to go work in the vineyard. The one said, I'm going to go work in the vineyard, but he never went. The other son said, no, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. And finally, he thought about it, he changed his mind, and he went to go work in the vineyard. And Jesus asked the question, which of those two sons did the will of the father? Well, the one that went and worked in the vineyard one, right? Not the one who said he would and didn't go. It's the one that actually said, I'm not going to go, but he eventually went to go work in the vineyard. See, our obedience is a test of our belief. Are we going to obey? We first believe. We first believe. So when our faith is being challenged, believe in the promises of God, 
And second, obey the commandments of God no matter what. No matter what. Don't start pros and cons. We obey no matter what. No matter the consequences for us. Just like Joseph. Didn't matter the consequence for him. He did what was better for her. He did what was right. What God wanted him to do. That's what he did. The third way to strengthen your walk of faith is trust in the one who is coming. Of course, we know that is who? Jesus. It's always Jesus, right? So let's read verse 25. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We learn from Joseph, but Joseph is not the hero of the story. Who's the hero of the story? Say it louder. Jesus. Jesus. He's always the hero. He's our only hero, guys. There's only one hero out there, and it's Jesus. The word Jesus, the word Heshua, comes from two thoughts, a name of God and a cry for help. Jesus, the one who saves us, the one who rescues us, the one who delivers us. That name means so much to us, right? Right? Amen? It means so much to us. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are people use that name with vulgarity. I use it so flippantly. It should bother us. It should really bother us because that name means so much. That's the name that saved us and rescued each one of us, not only from our addictions and our habits, but our past and our failures and for our sins, the sins that destined us to spend an eternity apart from God. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Why? Because he's the one who rescues. Only him. It's only Jesus. The only one that can rescue us for eternity is only Jesus. There's no other hero out there. There's only one. It's Jesus. That's why we celebrate. That's why we put an emphasis this time of year. It's Jesus. We want to point people to him. And this moment of time, as you and I celebrate Christmas, we realize our rescuer has come. He's already come, right? 2,000 years ago, he came to redeem us from our sins so that we might spend eternity with him in heaven. That's what he wants for you and I to spend eternity with Jesus forever and ever. He came to die for our sins. And so let me kind of wrap this up for all of us here. First of all, if you don't know Jesus the way I'm describing, if you don't know for sure that you would go to heaven if you died today, and you say, I don't really know if I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure. If you're not sure, then you may not know. If you're not sure, or you say, if you come to the place you never accepted the gift of salvation that was offered, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter if you've been coming to church for a month, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. The church can't save you. It doesn't matter how much money you've been given to the church. That won't save you. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving in the church. It wasn't, won't save you. The only thing that will save you is Jesus. To understand that he died on the cross for your sins. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's the most important decision you can make in your life. I said it a couple weeks ago. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have an appointment with a God that you're not yet ready for. The Bible says that just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, that everyone who is called to stand before Jesus is going to have to give an account. And if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you'll spend eternity with him. But if you don't know him, or if you've ignored him, you'll spend an eternity apart from him, is what the Bible says. Listen, Jesus came to die for your sins. Understand, that's why he came. He didn't come just to be this cute little baby in a manger. He came to grow up to go to the cross and die for your sins. And let me share that with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Our nature is to sin. Our nature is not to be good. Our nature is propensity to sin. That's our nature. And God is holy, just, righteous, and perfect in all of his ways. 
and we're not. And so there's this gap between us and God. We cannot approach God. We can't get to heaven because only perfect people go to heaven, right? So we can't get to heaven. There's nothing you and I can do to make ourselves right. There's nothing you and I can do to get to heaven, and God knows that. The only one that could fix this problem that you and I have is God. And so what God did, he sent his son Jesus from heaven, who is God, and he came down to this earth in the form of a baby. That's what we celebrate Christmas is all about, Jesus coming as a baby. But he didn't stay in that cute little manger as a little baby. He grew up as a young man, and he showed you and I how to love God and how to love each other. And then he went to the cross, About the Bible says about when he's 33 years old, he went to the cross, and all of our sins, all those sins that separate you and I from God, were placed upon Jesus. Our past, present, and future sins were placed upon Jesus. Jesus became our substitute. He died in your place. He paid for your sin debt. That's what we celebrate Good Friday all about, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's God's grace. Jesus died for you. And then we know that on the third day, on the first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, that Jesus rose from the grave, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate Easter is all about. That's the Christmas story. It's not about just the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story that goes all the way through to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one day, Jesus is going to come back again. But what we have to understand is Jesus came for a reason. He was to die on the cross for your sins. And now you and I have to respond to what Jesus did. Just knowing about what Jesus did doesn't save you. We're not getting you into heaven. Just intellectually knowing, I know that Jesus died, that doesn't help. The Bible says in John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, become offspring of Jesus. You have to receive him by faith. So you have to understand that I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, right? But you yourself, you're a sinner. And that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's God. And that he died on the cross for your sins. That's God's grace. He paid for your sin. Paid your sin debt. Your sin debt. He was your substitute on that cross. And now you respond by faith. That I accept Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. I accept him as my Savior. If you have never done that, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the belief. Remember I said we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross was buried and raised on the third day. The obedience is, I accept him by faith. I trust him in faith. But we first have to believe. The Holy Spirit is leading you this morning. You've never done that. The Holy Spirit is leading you to pray that prayer. Don't, don't, uh, don't, to pray that prayer. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. The Holy Spirit has asked you to pray that prayer. Pray it today by just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I accept him now by faith. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. If you have questions about that, please come and see me. That's the most important question you can ask because that depends where you will spend eternity. This life is so short. Where will you spend eternity is forever and ever and ever. And you want to make sure you get that one right, right? You want to make mistakes. So if you have questions, please come and see me. Secondly, to know who Jesus is. And to, if you know that, and you're coming today to celebrate the life that you have in Jesus Christ, I pray the revelation of these eight verses, that your heart would be so full of gratitude that you could not stop worshiping him. You can't stop worshiping him. And I said this a couple weeks ago when we come and we worship, as we gathered to worship, God wants us to come, not just lip service worship, but the worst kind of worship that God wants from you and I be worshiping with everything that we have. So we're worshiping from these seats. We're, we're giving God our attention through the songs, through the message, the word of God, through the prayers and everything, not just with our ears, but it's with our intellect, it's with our heart, it's with our soul, it's with our strength, 
It's with your body. It's with everything I have. I give to God. That's how I sing the songs. That's how you sing the songs. I sing with everything that I have given God my full attention. It's about you, not what's up here on the stage, but you and those words on that screen that you're singing to God, singing them out to him. Because he's watching. And he wants you and I to worship him with everything we have. I talked about a couple weeks ago, that's what Josiah was calling the people to, that kind of worship. That's the kind of worship God wants from all of us. So we give everything that we have. Why? Because he gave everything to us, did he not? Does he not deserve us totally giving ourselves to him and everything that we have to worship him? That's the kind of worship he, he, he wants from us. And we're going to do that on Christmas Eve next week. But we also want to do that on Christmas Day. We want to do that all next year, right? We want to worship him like that. Giving everything that we have to God. Worshiping him with everything that we have. Not just lip service as we're singing the songs, but singing as loud as we can with everything that we have. In those chairs or wherever you're at, singing to him. May the truth of the incarnation of God come alive to you, living within us to redeem us. So overwhelm you that it becomes life-changing this Christmas. Because... Jesus doesn't want you, if you know Christ as your Savior, he doesn't want you to be the same person that you were after you met him. As Jesus comes into our life, we're to change. He doesn't want you to go back doing the same things that you did before. He wants to change your life, that Jesus would be a life-changing decision, that your life would never be the same again. That I can't go back to those old habits, those old things I did, but my life has been changed by Jesus, amen? And I pray this Christmas, no matter where you're at, that next step would happen in your life would be life-changing for you. And also, for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, you're going to have challenges to our faith from time to time. No matter how strong a faith that you have, you're going to have challenges with your faith at some time. But let's learn from Joseph to believe in the promises of God and to obey the commandments of God, right? That's what God wants us to do. Believe in the promises and obey the commandments of God. Immediate obedience is God's God. Not to hesitate. And also, he gives us another commandment. Go and make disciples to, to the world. Go out there and share Jesus Christ with the world. To a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Next week, we're going to have our Christmas Eve service. And uh, we all say, and hopefully you say this, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Jesus is the reason. So our Christmas is going to be centered around Jesus. If it's centered around Jesus, we just can't say that with words. We need to show it with action. Because words don't mean anything. It's the action that we do that backs up those words. So if you say that, then you're going to want to be here on Sunday morning to worship God. And you're going to say, God, I want to show you that you're the, you're the most important thing in Christmas. See, everything centers around you. You're going to want to be in church. You're not going to say, I'm going to do my own thing. God, I don't have time. If he's really the center of your Christmas, you're going to want to be on, in, in church on Sunday, right? Worshiping him. Pouring out your heart to him. And you're also going to want to invite whoever you can to come. If you have family coming in town, don't leave them at home. Say, this is what we do. We come to church on Sunday because Jesus is important. He's the reason for Christmas. So bring them out, and I promise you, on that Sunday morning, there will be a clear presentation of the gospel around the Christmas story. We're going to talk about the Christmas story. We're going to look at these verses. Let's talk a little bit more about remembering. But make sure that you come on that Sunday morning. It'll be a wonderful service. I'd like to see all these seats filled on that next Sunday at 9.30 a.m. So make sure you invite people. That you come, but make sure you bring someone else with you. If you have family in town, tell them we're going to go to church. We want to make sure that we, we worship Jesus on this, this Christmas day, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. For, Lord, there is no one more important than you. Lord, there should be no one more important in our life than you. Lord, I pray for each person here today, Lord. 
Pray for their soul. I pray in their heart and mind this morning, if someone here does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they don't know for sure they're going to go to heaven when they, when they die, then Lord, today I pray you convict them of sin and need of a Savior. And there's only one Savior that you've given under heaven, which is Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross for their sins, so they might be with you forever and ever and ever. And I pray for their soul this morning. Lord, be with them. Convict them. Lord, I pray for all of us this Christmas season. That, Lord, so many times Christmas is one of those kind of seasons. Some, it's, it's such a, all excitement and others, Lord, it's kind of down and so alone. I pray, Lord, at this moment in time that you would just send a blessing upon our heart and minds. That the incarnation of God would come to dwell within us. That to redeem us. To so overwhelm us that there'd be life change in each one of us. They're to realize what you did when you came. But the world was never the same. For Jesus, you came to this earth and light touched darkness. It was never the same. And you went to that cross and you died on the cross for our sins, paid for our sins. And then when you rose out of that grave, God, you conquered sin, death, and Satan for us. So that we can live the victorious life over sin, death, and Satan. Not only for now, but for eternity. And so, Lord, I, real, I, I pray that each one of us realize what we have in Jesus. You're all that we ever need for eternity. Salvation. Eternal home. Forgiveness of sins. The family of God. The offspring of Jesus. All those things we have in Jesus. There's so many more blessings to reign with Jesus Christ. To co-reign with Jesus. The future you have in store for followers of Jesus Christ is amazing. And we don't deserve any of it, but it's all by your grace. I pray, Lord, that each person in this room and those that might be listening, Lord, might understand who Jesus is and what he did for them when he died on the cross and might put their faith and trust in him for forgiveness of sins. I pray for their soul today. Lord, I pray for us this week, Lord, as we have opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with others. Help us to be that faithful ambassador to share with others about the, the real true reason of Christmas. It's not about a baby and a manger, but about dying on the cross for our sins and, and on the third day of the resurrection. Help us to tell the complete story and they can truly have eternal life through Jesus, forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for all that Christmas means, Lord. And Lord, I pray this next song as we sing that, Lord, remember the name of Jesus. There's no other name like his name. There's no other name that saves. There's no other hero that we have except the name of Jesus given from Christmas. There's only one name that's given Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask all these things and that most precious thing in the name of Jesus.